Welcome to episode 25 of African and American with your girl, Six the Goddess. And keep in mind, I'm a goddess and I'm sensitive about my shift. Peace and love, family. Peace and love. I hope that everybody is well. I am well. I am just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm suffering from a condition called entrepreneurism. <laughs> Now, if you don't know what entrepreneurism is, it's though the feelings and emotions that you go through being a beginning entrepreneur and starting your own business and all of the L's that you take and all of the lessons that you learn the hard ways, as well as all of the growth that you experience and all of the positivity and financial freedom and freedom, you know, in regards to your life that you're able to obtain. So it's like it's ups and downs. The entrepreneurship ism is like one day it's like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I ever did. I should have did this sooner. I'm totally winning. And then the next day is like, Oh my God, what was I thinking? Why did I do this? What have I got myself into? Yeah, so that's currently where I am right now. Like, for example, today I was trying to like print out labels and get my boxes set up and like the company that delivers my jars, they're late delivering my stuff. My Wi-Fi kept going out and and because of there is a here in Florida, we're having some bad storms today. So I had a moment where I just sat there and just laid there like, I give up. Like, you know what? Nothing is going right. I can't take it. And it's different because, you know, when you're working a job, you walk in, you do your work and you get paid. Okay. If something goes wrong, you tell somebody else about that. Ain't got nothing to do with you. It's someone else's problem. Like you get paid regardless, no matter if they make 10 sales or 10,000 sales, you still get paid. If things go bad, it's not your problem. Now, when you are an entrepreneur, it is not that way. When something goes bad when something breaks when something happens you have to figure it out so I mean those are the differences I think that sometimes we paint entrepreneurship like this easy thing and everybody wants to be a business owner and everybody wants to be a boss but it's like you know are are, are we really understanding what it really takes everyone wants to like quit their job and follow follow their dreams and be an entrepreneur but it's not that easy keep your job Keep your job because when you are starting out as an entrepreneur, everything that you make goes right back into your business. You may have a day where you make hundreds or thousands of dollars in sales and then you have to take that money and put it right back towards supplies or marketing or, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, I just want to make sure that everyone understands that being an entrepreneur is definitely the way to build family legacies, to build generational wealth. However, I do not want anyone getting the false perception that it's easy, especially if you are being an entrepreneur as a one woman show, which that's what I'm doing. I do everything for my business myself, from the marketing to building my website to inventory to packaging and shipping and handling. I do it all. So 
You have to make sure that this is what you really want to do. If you're trying to be an entrepreneur because you want to just come up on some quick money, then it's probably not the path that you want to take because it's just not the way it works. And before I went into business for myself, I definitely knew that I had the mental capacity and I definitely knew I had the intelligence to be a business owner. However, I had never done it. And it's something where no matter how much you read up on it or how much you learn about it, it's nothing compared to when you really do it. And like I said, learning through those trials and errors. Um, okay, so you know, I just wanted to share that with you all. I like to let you all know like where I am now. Outside of that, you know, I'm doing very well. My son is well. Um, and okay, so enough of me babbling. Let's just go ahead and get into this week's episode. So the first topic I want to talk about is how um in the in the news headlines. It seems like every day we are seeing some type of utterly ridiculous report about a white person calling the police on black people for all kind of reasons. I mean, I'm just waiting on a headline that's like, hey, um, a white person calls police on black person for breathing too hard. Like, I am literally waiting for that to be the next headline. Like, hey, a black white person calls the police on black person for wearing a yellow shirt. Like, I'm, I'm just waiting because it just gets more and more ridiculous. Some of the major situations that have gone on in these past couple of days are Permit Patty, which Permit Patty called the police on a young black girl for selling water outside of her home. And then there was Coupon Mori, which is the uh, white male that works for CVS. And I don't know if you all caught that one, but I'm sorry. This is not funny, okay? the These people calling the police on us and all that is not funny whatsoever. I'm not laughing. However, in this particular scenario, I could not help but to laugh because... Okay, so the woman, her name is Camilla Hudson. She's in the CVS. She received a manufacturer's coupon. Now, when you receive a manufacturer's coupon, it can look different than coupons that you will find like um, in a newspaper or in a magazine. They can look different because they're not sent like from Family Dollar or from Walmart. It's from the exact manufacturer. So it can look different. Now, The woman had a manufacturer's coupon and she presented it to the man at the register. Uh, He said that he felt like it was fake and it wasn't a real coupon. So he asked her to leave. Now, if you know this is a real coupon and you want your stuff, of course you're not going to leave. You're going to be thinking to yourself, like, leave for what? Like, what am I leaving for? I want, you know, my stuff and I want to use my coupon. So she wouldn't leave. So he calls the police, okay? And when he is on the phone with the police, he's holding the phone. It's like a landline. So there's a cord and everything. And when I tell you that this man was, you know how you hear the term like shaking in your boots? Okay. He was literally, (laughs) he was literally shaking in his boots. I'm talking about he's holding the phone and his arm is like, I'm talking about it it almost made you think that he had a condition, how, how bad he was shaking, but uh Camilla Hudson made a comment and she said I want y'all to know he was not shaking like that the whole time she was like he only started shaking like that when he called the police which shows that he was nervous which shows he was afraid which shows that deep 
down inside, he knew that what he was doing was wrong. Let me tell you, the point I made in my life, and once I realized this, I've become a much happier person. I've realized when people do wrong things, People do not. I mean, now some people do. I know I do. And I didn't used to be this way, but I've gotten this way as I've grown. And I can do this now because I can say that I rarely do something to someone that requires an apology because I think before I act. Before I do anything, I think, how would this affect the people around me? Is this rude? Is this considerate? And I, and I monitor my actions. So what that does is it makes it so I don't have to really apologize to anybody because nine times out of ten, I didn't do anything to need to apologize for because I think about what I do before I do it. And I am powerful and I am in control of myself. Damn, that feels good to say. So yeah, I'm not afraid where if I do make a mistake or if I do mess up, I'm not afraid to say I messed up because that tells that tells me I really did not know that this was going to happen or I really did not purposely try this. So I don't feel intimidated to say I was wrong or I was sorry because I know that things happen. So once I realized that majority of people, when they do wrong, they're not going to say, hey, you know what? <laughs> I was completely wrong and I have no excuse for what I did. And I'm sorry, let me kiss your feet. That is barely ever what happens. Most of the time when people do wrong, they're going to try to come up with some kind of justification as to why they're right or argue with you back and forth or talk over you to make themselves not have to say, hey, I messed up or hey, I was wrong. So now that I know that at this point in my life, I usually I don't even confront people when they do wrong because what I mean I'm going to confront you and then what? I mean I'm going to confront you you're going to you're not going to admit to it. You're not going to say sorry. I'm going to end up frustrated and we'll have gotten nowhere. So now I just you know when I see shit like that, you know, I just I peep it, charge to the game and keep moving. So now when this man is shaking, I'm like, "Okay, you shaking because you know that you are dead ass wrong." These shakes are coming from you knowing that what you're doing is the most disgusting, most racist, most retarded, and, and most, and what a waste of time. You know what I'm saying? You're calling the police about a coupon. You know what I'm saying? Like, meanwhile, there are people legitimately getting kidnapped, raped, burglarized, all that. Now you're taking up the phone lines so that you can call and report a black person and their coupon. Look at your life. Look at how far you've fallen. Ugh. All right. So the Cracker Jack Bob is like shaking literally. And he's like, yeah, it's a female. And she's African-American. <laughs> I mean, y'all have to see the video. I, I tried to repost it. But yeah, I think that CVS did some kind of mass like deletion of the video because I tried to put it on my page and it was saying like, oh, this has been disabled or something like that. I said, yeah, CVS don't put out an APV like, hey, take this shit down, delete all this because, you know, it make, it reflects on them badly as a company. So if y'all do happen to find the video, please watch it because like I said, it's not funny, but I'm sorry, but his reaction and the way he was going about things, child, I was done. When I say I had tears in my eyes, so then he's like, yeah. And she's African-American and the lady, Camilla, she's like, no, I'm black. 
she's like, there's nothing wrong with saying the word black. And the way she was saying it was so funny because she wasn't, she was not being like rash or, you know, ghetto or loud or anything like that. She was just talking factually. She was like, yeah, I have ID. I will provide the ID to the police when they come. You know what I'm saying? She was getting him because I think that most of the time they think that we're going to respond like violent or cussing them out. So they they anticipate that. But I think what scares them even more is when we respond with intelligence. When we respond with intelligence and facts, they don't know where to go from there. You know what I'm saying? When, when, when you coming through and you're keeping yourself calm and collected and they're the ones flustered, angry and doing the most you want. You want. So what was happening is he didn't know what to do because she being calm, she being factual, she's standing by what she said. If she knows this coupon is real. So therefore, I'm not going to angle back and forth with you niggas. You know what I'm saying? So he didn't know what to do. So then she's like, oh. You know, he's like, oh, she's African-American. She's like, no, I'm black. And she's like, black is not a bad word. And it was funny because when after she said that, I was like, you know what? Now that you mentioned it, Camilla, I have seen multiple times where it is where like white people are afraid. They're afraid. They'll be like, she's, you know, she's, she's, um, she, and it's like black. She's black. Yeah. She's black. What the hell? She's black, 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 black. Blackity, black, black, black. What the hell is so wrong with the damn word? It's like everybody's so scared to say it. Blackity, black, black, black. Say it with me, y'all. Black, blackity, black, black, black. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting so off topic. So that's what I was saying about the show. So, um, so now, um, he, so, okay. So we, now we didn't get to see on the video whether or not like the police and stuff came, but the woman Camilla, she ended up like doing an update about everything like on her Facebook and stuff. And she was like, you know, I'm just letting everyone know that, um, the police did come, but nothing happened. I'm like, I'm sure nothing happened because the police are going to come in and what? Okay, but now we we speak about this, we see everything that's going on, but we have to have a serious conversation about what this means, all right? Because the truth is, things never change. I'm going to say that again. Things never change. They simply may take a different form. However, they are not changing. All right, so let's talk about this. So, uh, like I was saying earlier, I want to say, you know, many, many years ago, but honestly, there is lynching of the lynching of black people that still goes on. But I will say that, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, it was more of the common way to handle, quote unquote, you know, black people that you know, were black men that slept with white women or black people that broke the law or black people that offended. Cause I'm, I'm, I, I don't even need to say everything else. I just need to put it under one umbrella of the black people that were lynched for offending white people in any way, shape or form. And that can even be offending them by being too smart or by knowing what you're talking about. Okay, uh, it, it offending white people also includes us being happy. Offending white people also includes denying them our sexual organs. 
it, um, I, I, like I tell y'all all the time, the number one hate mail that I get is from white men that are furious with me because I will not get with a white man. Furious. That I have said my body will never be touched. My body is not open to anyone white. That is the number one message I get from white men furious. So you know me. I would have been lynched up by a tree for show. For show that back then. If I would have said stuff like that. So basically when you go against what white people want. And what they think we're supposed to do. That is when they call for the lynching. Okay, so now back in the day, they would call up the mob. Okay, you piss off a white person, they're going to call up the gang gang, call up the mob. They're going to come for you. They're going to drag you out of your home. They don't care if your husband is home, your wife is home. They don't give a damn about any of that. And they're going to string you up by the nearest tree. All because you got out of line, nigga. Okay, so now let's fast forward to now, to 2018. What happens? Barbecue Becky, black people at the barbecue having fun, enjoying themselves that offended her. But now she can't go lynch us up on a tree. So you know what her you know what the evolved form of that is? Because like I just said, nothing changes. It just changes form. So now this is a lynching. This is an attempted lynching, and, and I'm, I know y'all can't see me, but I'm saying lynching with quotation marks, lynching, because are you physically stringing a, a rope around our neck and hanging us by a tree? No, but you are doing that essentially. Essentially, that is what is happening when you know that police are killing us left and right. So for you to call the police on a black person, that is the example of modern day lynching. These crackerjacks want you dead. They want you dead. When they call the police on black people, what they ultimately want is for the police to get there, for them to point the finger at you as being aggressive or out of hand or a threat, and they want the police to kill you. And then I still got niggas telling me about how not all white people are bad. These people want blood. Literally. They literally have it in their genetics where they must taste our blood. They must. They get high. It's a drug. They get high when they see us killed. They, 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 they go into a euphoric state when they see us chained up. They love it. They love it. All right. That is how it evolved. That is why it is such a slap in the face when I hear black people say, it's not like that anymore. White man ain't never held me back from none I want to do. It's a slap in the face to your ancestors. It's a slap in the face to your people right now because we still being lynched. It's just a different form. All right. These white people are not openly racist anymore, but they're still racist. Okay, they're not having KKK meetings in the middle of town square no more. Now they're hiding the meetings, but the meetings are still happening. No, they are not lynching us by trees, but the lynchings are still happening. The attempts on our life are still happening. And then even deeper than that is for them, 
Because in these situations, they're wrong every single time, but they still call the police and they call them police with so much confidence that they know for a fact that regardless of the fact that I'm wrong, the police are going to take my side. And then those same white people want to be the ones trying to implement policies and rules to make sure that all these niggas stand for the anthem and stand for the pledge. Meanwhile, your behavior subconsciously tells us that you know that this system is not for black people whatsoever. And you know that. That's why you pick up that phone with such confidence to call them boys. Because you already know they taking the side with your white ass, period. Which is why it's so funny when they turn around and say that we tripping. Oh, it's not like that. And you guys are over exaggerating. Oh, that's not a problem anymore. Yet they pick up that phone so fast. You know what I'm saying? So, um, it, it's, and it's important to be educated on stuff like this, because if you're not, then you will be one of them niggas that truly feels as though that stuff doesn't happen anymore. If you're not aware of the form that it has changed into, then yeah, you can also be one of those people who really believes that it's not that way. And y'all niggas are tripping. Okay, look how good Massa treat us. Massa lets us have money. Massa lets us buy cars. Massa lets us have our own house. Massa's so good to us. I just don't know why y'all niggas hate Massa so much. Don't be one of them niggas and it's easy to be that if you're not educating yourself. It's so easy to be that. So that's why I like to have these conversations because I want to let people know like, hold on, baby. Ain't nothing changed but the name. All right. And and these are the things where it's important to educate our children on that as well so that they're aware of what's going on. And so they can understand, listen, baby, when these white people call the police on you, baby, they trying to kill you, baby. Okay, and and if our children don't know that you're going to have your children also grow up to be one of them children that trust white people. You know what I'm saying? Like when, when I when I see uh when I see these kids with the police taking pictures and stuff, I'm like, where the hell are your parents? I would drag my son by the collar if I ever in my life seen him posted up taking a picture with a police so he can post the picture with my child to say, oh, look, I'm not a racist pig. You will not use my child for that. All right, brothers and sisters. So, you know, I give y'all I give y'all homework every week. All right. Now, this is this week's homework. Teach your children about the evolution of the lynching. Okay. Teach them about that so they're not getting caught up in the sauce because if you're not aware of what's going on, then you can just laugh about it and write it off like, oh, these people tripping. No, they ain't tripping. They want your blood. They want you dead. They want you six feet under. Uh, I've been thinking about my mama lately. She's been on my mind heavy. And I'm, I'm going to explain a little bit about how things work with our ancestors. So... You know, especially our immediate ancestors, parents, children, grandparents, it's so important to have an ancestor altar set up for them in your home. It's usually best to put your altar in a corner. Um, when you keep your altar in a corner, it allows that energy to kind of stay there. It kind of blocks it off. It kind of keeps it in this one spot. Um when you have your ancestor altar, you can, of course, um, give offerings to your altar, like uh, food or drink. 
Um, sometimes I dance in front of my altar. Uh, you know, you can also pray there, meditate there. And what this does is it honors those ancestors and gives them honor because they look after us, they guide us, they watch over us. When my mother passed away, it was surreal. It was so surreal. Like, you're not expecting to lose a parent in your teenage years. So I, I found myself today, 10 years later, kind of mourning my mother because when she passed, my son had just been born. He was four months old. And I was in an extremely abusive relationship with his father. So it's like I had a younger brother. So it's like, you know, I have this baby and I have to figure out how to get away from this crazy man. And I have to make sure my brother is all right. And, you know, with all that going on, I simply did not have time to mourn her. Period. There was just, I did not, I, I did not have the opportunity to be sad, to mourn, to be by myself. It just wasn't what would happen. And then, um, as I had to do what I had to do to get out of my relationship and, you know, find somewhere safe for my son and I to be. Um, but one thing led to another. And before you know it, almost a decade had passed by and I had never gone through a proper mourning or grievance of my mother. Now, if you don't properly mourn your ancestors, um, it's, it's disrespectful to them, especially uh, when, like I said, when they were living, you know, they love us and they guide us. And then when they do transition to an ancestor, all of that increases. So it's kind of like the least we can do is, you know, give them the proper, the proper mourning to see them off properly in their transition. So I, I uh, decided that, I mean, better late than never, that I will begin a mourning period of my mother. I want to make sure that I'm giving her the honor that she deserves. I want to elevate her as an ancestor. So when you want to elevate your ancestors, you do that in a very literal form. So I take my altar and I will literally elevate the altar every seven days for 21 days to give her... Um, the proper energy that she deserves. Because sometimes what can happen is if we are not honoring our ancestors properly, they will start to appear to us. They will start to, you know, send us messages. And my mother lately has been sending the message like, hey, you know, I, I what's going on? Where are you at? Like, hello. And um, I, sometimes you get sad of being sad or you get tired of being sad and I had found myself getting to where I was tired of being sad and so I removed all photos of my mother from where I could see them and just put them in a box um I, I didn't have an altar set up for her before because it was just because of selfish reasons I did not want to see her because seeing her just made me too sad but what happens is then I'm closing off that portal of energy and communication between myself and her and since she is my mother of course she's going to have a strong desire to guide me a strong desire to protect me but if I'm not leaving that open then she can't do it and and essentially what happens is she's just forced to kind of sit back and watch me go through this journey I'm on without being able to properly assist so I decided you know I definitely have to put myself aside put my feelings aside and give her what she deserves now that I'm a parent 
I understand now more than ever how amazing my mother was. I have one child. I'm in perfect health, thank God. And I look at how difficult and overwhelming it is for me to raise my son on my own. So when I think about my mom and the fact that she had literally moved across the country away from all her family, she had she was dying of breast cancer, she had two children, you know, it's like and she still remained a happy person. She still treated us so well and I I never doubted whether or not I was loved. I always knew that and she would literally have done anything for us. And so now more than ever, I, I understand, wow, I understand how major it was for her to be the woman she was and past that to be the woman, the, the mother that she was, I'm sorry. And sometimes we don't understand until we have our own children because you can easily feel like, oh, this is my mom and this is what she's supposed to do. So therefore it is what it is, but that's simply not the way it works. So I tell people all the time, if you are blessed to still have your queen in your life, listen, whatever she needs, do it. When she aggravates you, enjoy it. I would give anything to have my mom call me and aggravate me. I would give anything to have her call me and ask to borrow some money and me had to roll my eyes and be like, how much you need? I would give anything for that. And uh, and so many times I see people when they do still have their mothers living, they definitely take that for granted. I even took it for granted when she was alive. And I, I really felt like, you know, that she would just always be here. And so you're not really thinking like that. And if and when the time comes where you do lose a parent, it can be overwhelming and you don't want to feel that feeling of, I did not give them their flowers enough while they were alive. So you you want to make sure that you are treating them in a way and living in a way where when their time comes, you won't have any guilt or any regrets. So, um, so during my morning period, I just decided that whatever I feel is what it's going to be. If I feel sad, I'm going to be sad. If I feel, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to allow myself to feel those emotions because I truly believe that I will be able to ascend spiritually once I honor her, uh, as I said, in a way that she deserves. Um, so, I, I mean, I just wanted to share that with you all because... I realize when it comes to African spirituality, and when I say African spirituality, I understand that there are several different cultures of African spiritualities and methods and things of that nature. I understand that. But what I do want to make clear is that all forms of African spirituality have the same foundations uh, and the same purpose. So... Um, it's not necessarily generalizing to say African spirituality when all forms of it kind of boil down to all the same things. Um, there's several different ways to skin a cat, as we know. Uh, but, you know, practi- people that practice African spirituality, it's not like on the TV, like Joe Osteen. You know, this is not something that you can necessarily like uh, join a Bible study and like get lessons on this. That's not really the way it works. Most of the time, if you are looking to tap into your roots to be, to begin to learn and practice African spirituality, your best bet is to find people in your communities that practice it and just kind of stay up to date on you know their events or things that they have going on because this is extremely sacred. And a lot of people have been extremely programmed to 
be afraid of African spirituality. They have been programmed that it is demonic or satanic, worldly. So you don't want to put it out in the open too much because it is misunderstood so much. Um, So definitely network, talk to people in your area and see what they have going on because that's probably going to be your best bet to tap into that because once you free yourself from the religious bonding, life changes a lot. And you also realize that things really aren't that complicated. Uh, Religion, the Bible, it makes everything extremely overly complicated. And when you break free from that and you really learn to think for yourself, you accept a few things. You accept that, number one, there may be some things that you don't know. There may be some things that are beyond your understanding, and that is fine. We're not threatened by that or made angry by that. We respect that. Because the reality is we all could have a thousand different theories about how we got here or how we got there. But will we ever really know for sure? You know, do we have a guaranteed for sure confirmation of that not necessarily we can only go off of what we feel or what we think you know makes the most sense according to the situation um so I uh oh goodness I'm sorry y'all I'm trying to (laughs) I'm trying to fix something I almost just fell out of my chair just now my apologies <laughs> um and and then you also want to you'll you also have that realization that people really have their own free will you'll you'll have the realization that most of the time people know exactly what they're doing they know right from wrong and people just make different choices about whether or not they want to um whether or not they want to live by that or not you know, so you you'll begin you'll get to the point where you will simply just live in your light. You won't feel the need to go door to door to share your thoughts and your lifestyle with others. You won't find the need to have to prove to anyone or convince anyone or convert or preach to anyone. You will simply live in your light. Others will see you living in that light and they will naturally want to live in that light too. It speaks for itself. So transitioning from the mindset of uh, religion and rules and laws and this is right and this is wrong, transitioning from that can be difficult at first. But once you do, I can guarantee you, you'll have a whole different outlook on things. (laughs) You'll have a different outlook on things and um, you'll also bear a lot of responsibility because it's so easy to just say, well, it's the devil or it's this when you have to really take responsibility that, wow, like this is me or this is the world. Of course, it can be it can be hard to deal with. But in the long run, it's worth it. And it's such a help for our children so that we don't have another generation, you know, wasting away in lies. I have a lot of people ask me, um, so when did you become, quote unquote, conscious? So when did you become, quote unquote, woke? When did you become enlightened? And that's a very interesting question. And my answer to that would be that I don't feel like I or anyone else became woke or became conscious. I believe that this is who we always have been. And it's just a matter of becoming aware of it. It's just a matter of 
living in it. It's just a matter of returning to it. I had that moment where I had to sit back and really look at what are we doing? What are we doing? And, you know, I was waking up every morning with my 30 inch weave in my head of hair that wasn't mine. And then putting on makeup and clothes just to go out to make money. And then, you know, we make, we go out, we make the money, and then we just think of ways to spend it. And then we go to sleep and we wake up the next day and we do the same thing. And then we all have some kind of vices or some kind of hobbies that keeps our minds busy so that we don't really, it, we don't really have to deal with the, the stress of, wow, we're wasting our lives <laughs> in, a, in a cycle of nothingness. <laughs> So we just stay real busy so that we don't have to think about that. And um, I found I found myself in that same cycle like a lot of other people are in. And I had to say to myself, like, so is that going to be life? And then the rest of life will just be me being nothing without Jesus and waiting on him to come back and giving him 10% of my income? Is that it? So I have to wait my whole life. You know, I have to live my whole life apologizing for being born and <laughs> live my whole life apologizing for being a quote unquote sinner. Uh, this just didn't it just didn't sound fun to me. I was like, this just this cannot be it. Like this cannot be how it's going down. So, you know, I uh, I knew there had to be something different. I knew that there had to be something better. I'm like. Uh, and, and it's crazy because some and I, I try to be careful the way I word things because I know that sometimes people are just not ready for some of the things I want to say. But what I will say is that I was searching for God my whole life. You know, Bible study three, four times a week, going door to door and searching for something that has always existed, but it was exi- existing inside of me the whole time. And once you realize that God is you and that God is inside of you, it can be scary. Um, In our minds, we want God to be Jesus. We want God to be someone male and figurative that lives in heaven with some white pearly gates and uh, makes a decision on whether or not we go to heaven or hell and or makes a decision on who's blessed and who's not. and, 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 And that's what we're we're programmed to do. Okay, once we understand that God is an energy, God is a force, God is inside the trees when it makes the trees grow, God is inside the sun when the sun shines, God is the energy, it's the force that pushes all living things forward. It is how everyone has instincts, it's how the animals have their instincts to parent and and to eat and to protect themselves from prey and, and things of that nature. That is God. It's an, it's an energy. It can never be created, can never be destroyed. Do not feel like God has a beginning or an end. I don't feel like God is a man or a woman. I feel like it is a force. So when that force of God is inside of me, when I'm able to bring forth and sustain life, we bring forth life through our vaginas and we sustain life through the food from our breasts, right? I'm like, wow, that's God. That's God. That's what I've been searching for. It has been me the whole time. 
Now, when you don't have a God that's coming to save you or a devil to blame for the bad things that happen, it can be overwhelming when you have to really accept that, wow, this all lies on me. Anything that you, any good you have done or anything you have accomplished in life, it was no thanks to Jesus or Jehovah or anyone else. It was thanks to you. Anytime that you felt like God had protected you or saved you the whole time, it was your ancestors. When you realize that, it's like, it's it's kind of makes you angry. Uh, but at the same time, it makes you feel empowered. The anger comes from wasting your time believing lies. <laughs> All right. Um, But the fulfillment comes from knowing that you no longer have to say that you are no one without Jesus and that you no longer have to wait on him to come back and get you. When you understand that you have the power to change your life and you have the power to change your future, you and only you, no one else is going to do it for you. It's it's all on you. It makes you rise to the occasion. And, And for some people, I think it would make them crumble. That's why it's easier for them to continue believing the lies because it makes it so they don't have to take that responsibility. Um, So a few years ago, I just decided to explore that. I decided that I was not going to be ignorant. I decided that I was not going to hear these things or meditate on these things and immediately dismiss them because I want to be loyal to a make-believe Jesus. I decided to be open-minded. I decided to say, you know what? What is holding me back from, you know, learning about other things? Why am I so defensive of this Jesus guy? Like, oh, no, he's really whatever you do. You can't talk about him. And I realized I was so fragile about him because deep down inside, I knew it was some BS. 3000 years ago, this man was born. My people been here for millions. So deep down inside, I knew this is some straight BS. That's why I was so fragile, so defensive about it. Don't you, you can talk about anything else, but don't you dare talk about my Jesus because that's that comfort that we're looking to hold on to. That's that parent, that that fantasy parent figure that we're afraid to let go of because we don't want to jump out that nest and have to fly on our own. But baby, listen, once you jump and once you fly, you are not going to want to come back down And those wings are going to be spread out and you're going to be soaring and no one will be able to touch you. They did not tell us that all of that uh, being my own person and I'm independent would lead to separation, loneliness, celibacy, and lesbianism. They didn't tell us that if you give up the man, you're going to take one of these things and it's worse and it will destroy your nation. They didn't give us that information. They made us think that it was some kind of glorified position to brag about the fact that I got my own job, my own credit card, my own car, so I don't need no man. I don't even know how we got that mixed up. Ain't none of that got nothing to do with being with no man. Yeah, we have some serious relationship problems that nobody has been able to address us on because everybody wants to pretend that this is not going on. You know, over 60% of our women are single, widowed, separated, or divorced. They don't have a man. I just came out of Florida, and they got a housing complex that the Urban League built, which is a black organization that is for women and children only. They don't. They say they don't allow any men in there. I didn't have time to deal with it, but I talked about them real bad. That's the silliest program I've ever heard of. You know the women that had men if they got a bunch of children. They need fathers. They need protection. We hear about the drug problem that we have in our project.
projects across the country. It's one of the major places that we have a drug problem. You know, we talk about the great strength that we have as black women. Well, the uh, welfare department don't rent government apartments to single black men. Those apartments belong to black women who are allowing this to go on in their home. We have not looked at what part of the responsibility do we share. Yes, black men sell a lot of drugs, and a lot of us black women get the money from them drugs and buy some of these fancy clothes we wear, drive around in some of these fancy cars. He is not doing these things alone and without support from us, whether they are good or bad. See, we have a lot of power. We are very strong women. I'm saying that we're using our strength in the wrong direction. We're using it to tear our man down, tear our nation down, instead of building it up. Having an education and a job is not, does not necessarily mean you have a successful life. I keep telling black women that to uh, raise a child, they say, well, I uh, provided with food, clothing, and shelter. That's not raising a child. That's maintaining one. To raise a child, you need a parental coalition of a man and a woman. We have sons who, are, by not having a father in the home, they don't know how to respect women. They take on the uh, black feminine, female emotionism. They're doubtful. They're indecisive. They can't make a decision. They don't know what to do about being a man, because we can't teach them that. We don't have that knowledge. We have daughters who grew up in a home where they don't see any affection, where there's no man there. They go out into the world and try to mate. They don't have no idea how to be no woman to no man how to function in a house with a man, because they haven't seen it. Most of our children, just like us, get all the information we have about how you be with a mate off television. It's the only medium that shows us anybody being together. Those rules have not worked for us. The white woman's liberation movement, we don't have anything to do with that. We have not been under the control of the black man for over 500 years, so what do we have to get liberated from them from? That was our queen of the week, Shahrazad Ali. I am a big fan of hers. If you're not familiar with who she is, she is an author and public speaker. Uh, she was born April 27, 1954 in Atlanta. She was raised in Cincinnati. Uh, one of her most popular books is The Black Man's Guide to Understanding the Black Woman. Now, Shahrazad Ali is quote-unquote controversial because anyone that corrects black women on their behavior will always be the enemy. And I know this because even when I have certain discussions, I have sisters coming at me like, oh, you're always attacking us and you're always, and it's like, sis, I mean, well, when do we get criticized? Criticism is essential for growth. You know, so it's like, well, dang, like, well, when is someone able to comment on things that we should be working on or things that we should be changing? And if it's not another black woman that should be commenting on it, then who? You know, it's like if, if, if our sisters are not allowed to come and talk to us about things, then who is allowed? It definitely can't be a woman of any other race and it definitely can't be a man to tell us about being women. So I never understood, you know, why do we have such an issue when it comes to correcting each other or, 
you know, and certain things like that with each other as sisters. So you'll hear a lot of mixed things about her, but she's somebody that I follow and I love. Um, so definitely check out some of her lectures because she's an excellent speaker. She's very relatable and understandable. Uh, a lot of scholars or an authors, they can be difficult to follow, uh, but she puts things in a way where everyone can follow and everyone can understand. So I encourage you all to get familiar with the queen. We are all out of time for this week's episode of African and American. And as always, peace, love and black power.